You are listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Good Farmer Understands, recorded on Sunday, June 25th, 2017. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, today we begin Mark chapter 4. Verse 1, we're going to jump into Mark chapter 4, and uh, we're going to get our hands dirty today. Uh, You know, food doesn't come from the grocery store. Food doesn't come from the grocery store. People in western Pennsylvania know that food doesn't come from the grocery store. But trust me, because I've lived in different places in suburbia around the country my whole life, most people don't know where food comes from. You think they do, but they don't. They they think that... that, uh, uh, hamburger comes in in, in plastic um, it, it, at a at a store. Um, they don't, you know, the whole cutting up of the of an animal and all that gooey stuff. That, you know, the they just they just there's a disconnect. Guaranteed, if 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 the food ever stopped being in the grocery store, an awful lot of our country would go. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Who's gonna bring me food? It's great living in Western Pennsylvania, where people are closer to the earth and they actually see food grow, and many of them grow food. And really, that was the experience of the entire human race, all the way up until modern times, until you could mass produce, preserve, and refrigerate. Everyone knew where food came from. So we shouldn't think it unusual to see how many times Jesus uses the growing of food as an illustration in the Bible. In fact, there's probably a book to be written. Uh, Maybe someone uh, at Harvest will write this book. If you could study all the agricultural examples of Jesus and put them together and maybe build the agricultural theology of Jesus. Well, Mark chapter 4 begins with agriculture. So let's jump in. Hey, um, chapter one, uh, 4, verse 1. Again, he began to teach by the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him uh, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea and the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. So he was... He, there, there was, how, how does that work? You know, generally, if somebody stands up to make a speech, there's not going to be so much activity that he can't talk, will they? I mean, they're, they're grasping at him. They want to touch him. They want to be so near Jesus. It's almost frightening to think about. Um, and he's, he's like, chill. And he gets on a boat so that he can have a little space and teach. His voice must have projected very well because they didn't have the... Uh, this amplification, my guess is the crowds would often hush. If you've ever been in a big stadium, um, they're almost never at a hush. But every once in a while, there'll be a quietness that falls over. And I imagine there were, it had to hush over a big crowd so he could project his voice. I'd love to hear that. Uh, I just point these things out because I like to put in my brain like I'm sitting there. And I'd like you to also. We have to have our sandals on and our robes on so we can imagine we're there hearing them. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And and, and let's jump into the teaching. Verse 3. Listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. We don't normally call that sower. This is a farmer went out to plant seed or throw seed. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and they devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. 
Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and they choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil, and it produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. And then he said this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, it's got to be exciting to hear Jesus teach, and apparently he went on and continued to teach. He didn't just do, just do this parable. He did other teachings, but this is the one Mark draws our attention to. And so, you know, parables are a two-edged sword. Why would you use a parable? The, the idea of a parable is, is it can take a, a complex or an abstract truth and make it physical so you can, so you can see it in, in, in your mind, Right? Um, you could tell someone, look, if you're constantly envying someone else, it's going to go bad for you. Or you could tell them a story and say there once was a dog who, who, who always envied other dogs and he got a bone and he was crossing a bridge. He looked into the water and he saw that another dog had a bone when he was looking in the water and he, in his envy, tried to grab that, that bone and when he opened his mouth, his bone fell in the water. Because there really wasn't another dog. It was his reflection. Um, so I could tell you that little picture and you can remember that story. And you say, oh yeah, his envy caused him to lose. And you'd think that all, every time Jesus told a parable, it was so that you would learn. But believe it or not, there's another thing that parables do is they hide the truth. They can hide it. And in this case, <laughs> he just tells them this story. And that's it. Now think about it, many of you know the story, many of you might not, but if you've heard the, this story, you already know the meaning of the story because Jesus is going to tell you. But for the crowds, he stopped right there. And they said, some guy's throwing out seed everywhere. And this probably was interesting to them because the guy was throwing it on the road. They'd never throw seed on a road. You know, he's throwing it on the roadside. You don't throw it there. You throw it in. So that's probably the most interesting thing about the story is where the seed is going. But after that... He says, but if you throw it on good soil, it grows. They're all probably going, and what's next? What, what, what's, what, why did you tell us this about throwing seeds? And his answer, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. You know, they're like, what do you mean? I don't know. Who had ears to hear? After he got done teaching throughout the day, at least 12 people we know of did not have ears to hear. Those were his apostles. They had no idea what he was talking about. And this parable stood out in their mind. And Mark points out that they asked him privately, um, can we go back? Can we, can we hit the, the rewind button on the DVR? And um, <laughs> when you were telling that story about the seed, what were you talking about? And, and if you jump to verse 13, it says... And he told them, do you not understand this parable? By the way, you might be saying, what are we going to do with verses 10 and 11 and 12? Answer, come back next week. God willing, we'll find out. But for now, we're not going to touch him. We're going to jump to verse 13. And he said to the guys, don't you understand this parable? To which I'm feeling, if I'm one of them, I'm feeling, well, I already felt stupid. Now I feel really stupid. I was supposed to understand. Are we, are we going to start doing gardening, Jesus? Is that it? He says, how will you understand all the parables? You don't, you, you don't get this one, you're not going to understand any of them. Wow. So Jesus is pointing to this parable as a foundation to other ones. 
So there's a concept in here that he is saying, out of all the parables in the Bible you could know, this one is a bedrock one. Now if it's true for them, do you think it's true for us? So, so we want to perk up our ears and sit up straight and think about it. What's going to be the point of this parable? Because he's saying it's a key to understanding them all. All right. Then he gives them the explanation. In the scripture, you will find parables where Jesus does not give the explanation. This one, he does. Ready? Verse 14. The sower sows the word. So it's not a seed, it's the word of God. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown... When they hear, so obviously the ground is people. It's not ground, it's people. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes it away, the word that is sown in them. And then the second kind, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. So there's some street people. <laughs> I don't know if you call them street people. If it's thrown on the road, those are road people. And now we have rocky ground people. These are the ones on the rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. Oh, I love to hear about Jesus. This is awesome. I love jumping up and down and singing the songs. So much fun. Jesus is cool. He's just all right with me, they might even say. In verse 17, and they have no root in themselves, but they endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word... We're not going to get too deep into that, but notice that, just note in your mind that the word seems to bring trouble with it. The seed that falls into you brings trouble with it. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. They say, I didn't sign up for this. Verse 18, the other ones are sown among thorns. These are the thorn people, all right? They are those who hear the word, But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things enter in and choke the word. And it proves unfruitful. So apparently the word is supposed to be the number one desire you have. So, and then finally, those that were sown on the good soil are the ones, the people who hear the word. And look what they do. Two things. They accept it and they bear fruit. 30 times, 60 times, 100 times all right that's the parable now what do we do with it to make it valuable to us today what's the truths that god wants us to grab i want to uh give you four foundational elements of god's plan for kingdom growth yes i've found four principles here for god's kingdom growth out of this and along the way hopefully we'll get um a lot more insights and and be able to apply it to our lives number uh one In this parable, the word is preached generously. Now, who's the sower, by the way? Who's planting the seed? I think we always have to start with Jesus in in the Bible, right? That Jesus is always the answer. You guys know this story, but for those who haven't heard it, please be patient and listen to it. Because in church, the answer is always Jesus, unless it's a number, and then it's 3, 7, 12, or 40. But the... (laughs) Word answers are always Jesus, so, so the Sunday school teacher was teaching all the kids, and, and, uh, and, and, and she wanted them to think of God's creation, and, and, and it was spring, and she says, what, 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 what uh, is, 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 lives in trees, has a bushy tail, and, and collects nuts for winter, and well, what is that? And all the kids were stumped, because the answer is supposed to be Jesus, till one of them says, I know the answer is Jesus, but that sounds like a squirrel. <laughs> this 
So, but the answer is always Jesus. So when I ask who's the sower, Jesus is first. Jesus is first. He is the one who reveals everything. In fact, if you read the Bible, the Old Testament, I guess I should go this direction. From Genesis all the way up to Malachi, you'll see an increasing amount of truths from heaven that God reveals. But it's not that much revelation. All that the Jews know in all that time. But when Jesus comes, boom. No more prophets needed. He is the revelation of God. He is the word of God. He is the one. Actually, you could probably think he's probably the seed also. Because when we think about it, we are preaching Jesus. I determined to know nothing before you except Christ and him crucified, says Paul. So, so we begin with Jesus and the, the message to the world spread. Jesus came as a preacher, often forgotten. He, we know he came to die for our sins, but did you know he came to preach? It's all over the Gospels. He came to tell the world, God has come to redeem you, repent of your sins, and, and be forgiven. So Jesus is, thrown, but he's not the only one. Anyone to whom God has given the word and they sow it. That includes Old Testament prophets. Daniel and Elijah and Elisha and Ezekiel and Moses. They're all throwing the word. But it's not just them. It will be, after this time, the 12 apostles. They will become the sowers who sow the seeds. But it won't just be the 12 apostles. It'll be everyone who hears from them and then goes and tells other people the gospel. It's really all believers are the sower of the word. There's a generosity in this. God is, in, in, in the text, he, just, he throws the word on all the ground. The seed, in this parable, notice that the seed is plentiful. Now I'm going to push this parable, but the principle is true. The seed is plentiful. There's nothing in the parable about there's, I buy, I had to buy grass seed because we redid some swampy stuff I had. And you know what grass seed is? Overpriced. I mean, I wish I could just give it long enough for weeds to come. Weeds are awesome. The, the seeds are free. They grow up nice. If you cut it, it all looks green to me. But I had to actually buy seed before the land washed away. And it's really overpriced. And running out of it is not good. When you're out, you're out. That's not so here. There's no limit to the amount of seed. The only limits the Bible ever shows us are on time and laborers. Time and laborers. Time runs out. You won't always be able to preach this message. And when the Lord returns, no one else will be able to be saved. And Jesus said, hey, look out. The harvest is ready. The laborers are what I'm short of. Our responsibility as a church and as individuals in the church at Harvest Community Church, our responsibility in the 21st century, our place in this parable is to be the sowers. We have enough seed. Everyone who understands the message has all the seed they want. As much as they can talk, as much as they can type, as much as they... You can do sign language. We redeem the time, we supply the laborers. You also notice about the seed that uh, it's a very simple way to advance the kingdom. How does God want to save everybody? Boy, when I was in India, I saw the, the way... No, here's a better one, Bangkok. They have a flower market in Bangkok. Amazing to see. It's just, it's like going into a big city like Times Square or something. And it's wall-to-wall people and wall-to-wall vendors. And all of them are selling the same product in different colors. 
flowers. Booths filled with flowers. It, it's beautiful. Flowers everywhere. For a guy, it gets boring after about three booths. Well, my wife thought it was beautiful. Do you know what all those flowers are there for? Gods. They run that whole market because all the people are so desiring to be saved that they go and spend money and they're poor that they don't have to buy these stupid flowers so they could take, well, the flowers are wonderful. They're made by God. They take these wonderful flowers and put them on these stupid little statues. Not kidding. Around the city, around their house, around their business. It's very expensive. It's time-consuming. The florist likes it. You know, what are you going to do to be saved in Islam? You don't even know if you're going to make it. Jihad, dying in jihad is a good idea. Otherwise, it's, it's a lot of work. What if you're a Jehovah Witnesses? Do you know how many people you have to bother? <laughs> There's a lot of, hello, oh no. They come in twos. But the way Jesus does it, it's very simple. One person tells another person. That's it. Our responsibility as a church is to take every chance given to us as individuals and collectively to tell the gospel, to sow the seed. The seed is also, you might notice, sown indiscriminately. No farmer would, see, would throw seed like this. I wouldn't throw my grass seed like this. I, it costs too stinking much. I'm not throwing it on the driveway. I'm not throwing it on the patio. Like I'm carrying every grain out to where it goes. I'm standing in the field like a, cr- a scarecrow to keep the birds away. But, but this seed is just thrown everywhere. It's indiscriminate. Why is that? Because really we're not talking about sowing seeds. We're talking about the word of God If the field is another person's heart, none of you know. I don't know and you don't know the condition of the soil, right? You can be thrown on the road or you can be thrown on good soil. You don't know. So it's thrown indiscriminately. (laughs) In other words, there is a responsibility we have as a church and as individuals to tell every single person we can. If God gave to Harvest Community Church the ability to bring the gospel to the whole world, then it's our responsibility to do it. I doubt he's going to because (laughs) why should we get all the glory? But if he did, we should. But there is probably a maximum number of people each one of us can reach and that we can reach collectively. And we don't know that number. But we should strive for it. We should saturate the world as best we can. Cover as much ground as God allows. Why? Because God loves everyone. We will never stop being dedicated to bringing the gospel to the nations of the world that have never heard it. That's the awesomest place. There's no seed there at all. Good, let's throw it out there. As a church, we'll never stop being dedicated to sharing the gospel with your family, and neither should you stop being dedicated to sharing with your family if they don't believe. And by the way, if, if, you, if you're young and you have kids, you have family who aren't believers. You just gave birth to pagans. And they will serve Satan if you don't do something about it. Your neighbors are your neighbors. Who else is going to sow the seed? Your workers, co-workers, friends, strangers, people online. Most of you guys, not most of you, that is so unfair because it's what you remember. Most of you guys don't do this. Some people who are Christians waste all their online time 
throwing out venom about whatever they're ticked about, about whatever they're feeling morally righteous about, convincing no one of their side, just looking like big jerks when they could be sowing the seeds of the gospel. And we should. Kids, any reasonable means of sowing the seed should be attempted. Write letters, yes, with your hand. Or like this, or tweet, or radio, or we bring the Gideons in every year. Why? The Gideons are sowers. They just take all the money and put Bibles everywhere. I mean, how many Bibles they put in hotels that are never read? Lots. But if somebody reads it, they get saved. Christmas shoe boxes. We wouldn't do that unless the gospel went with a box. And it does. Etc. Let me move. That was all under number one. If the word is preached generously, number two, the word is powerful. I want you to note in this um, parable that the seed is never the problem. Seed's never the problem. You can get bad seeds. If you, I've gotten them. Some of you probably gotten them. You can get seeds and you can plant a bunch of them and, and one or two doesn't grow. Uh, they, it's gotten to some point that, that seed makers will actually start to guarantee. We guarantee 90% of these will grow right on the packet. They'll tell you these are going to grow. I don't know what you're going to do. It costs 99 cents. You're not going back to Burpee or whoever it is and say, hey, I want my money back. They'll say, well, bring the seed that didn't grow. And then you're like, get a penny. That really wouldn't happen. But I want you to notice that's not so with the word of God. The problem is never the seed. It's always the soil. See, the word does miracles in real lives, and you have to trust that. You have to believe it. Sometimes you can forget it. Sometimes you can let Satan come in, and you can forget your own testimony. You can forget the direction you were on. You can forget God changed your life. I am a changed man. I know that, and I can remind myself anytime. You, if you know Christ, are changed people. The word of God is powerful to change lives. We should never be ashamed of sharing the gospel because what we're sharing, yeah, it could drop on a hard road and the people don't care what you're saying. But if it falls on good ground, that person will never be the same. And they'll live forever and ever. And the the seed is powerful. It's powerful enough to rescue any sinner. We always measure sinners and you never should. If given a choice between sharing the gospel with the worst criminal in the world, provided you're safe from him killing you because he's the worst criminal in the world, and sharing the gospel with the most friendly, retired teacher you ever met, and neither of them are saved, which one should you choose? Now you think, believe it or not, I think we'd all want to say, well, let's go to the friendly teacher. He's probably more open. You're blowing that thing. You don't know what the soil is. I do know this, there's an awful lot of real friendly retired teachers who are going to hell because they refuse stubbornly to follow Christ and a lot of criminals going to heaven. Want to find one? Look up the son of Sam, who was a serial killer in New York in the 70s. Look him up. Google him yourself. See where he is today. He's in jail, but God can save him. It's a powerful word. The third The third here is, the one who hears is responsible for the quality of the soil. And I'm taking principles from other places in the scripture and adding it kind of into this parable. 
But Jesus told us this parable, so why? Not just to talk about the sower part. It's got to be to talk about the receiving of the word, right? You see what I'm saying? Did Jesus tell this? He told the story to teach something. He's teaching you the dynamic of how the word of God can benefit and the three ways it does not benefit. So therefore, logic says, if I'm smart, I'm going to do my best to be the fourth soil. Are you following? So every time you hear the word, the quality of the soil depends on you. Are you ready to receive the word? Now, salvation, I think, is the heart of this parable. But make no mistake, Christians. Are you hearing me, Christians? Christians. Salvation is not a one-time event. Yeah, you get born again only once. You get justified from your sin once. But salvation or sanctification is ongoing. And God uses the same thing to, to clean the fish that he used to catch them. And that's his word and you receiving it by faith. In other words, you can be a Christian and you can get in the habit of letting your heart be hard path. You hear the word and it doesn't sink in because you don't care. Let's briefly consider each type of soil as a warning to us Christians. In the first case, they don't understand. Satan takes the word, but they don't understand. Um, I think Matthew's gospel shows a little more of what Jesus said. In, the, in 13, 19, Jesus said this, When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. And this understanding is not the sense of, well, I speak Russian and they told it to me in French. Well, you wouldn't understand, would you? No, this, this is, he was talking, but there was a loud jackhammer and I couldn't hear him. That's not what it's saying. The person's presentation wasn't clear. That's not what he's saying. He's the sower. He speaks it perfectly. What he's saying is they don't want to hear it, like the Pharisee. That's the kind of understanding. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to think it through. They don't care. Don't, don't give me your Jesus crap. I don't want to hear that garbage. You guys believe in a God who sends people to hell. Who's evil? I don't want to hear this. So what happens? Satan takes it away. And they get nothing. A mind made up against receiving the truth will get no truth. A mind made up. And a Christian can make up their own mind too. Especially if they're wrong on a doctrine and somebody's teaching them the truth. (laughs) Don't tell me that. Don't be that. Second case, notice they, uh, they listen and understand, right? Because remember, it's the, it's the one that's on the rocky ground, the rocky ground people, and it grows up out of joy. Yeah, I love this. This is great. Jesus is cool. I love this. But then when trouble comes, they fall away. What's their problem? In a word, they're cowards. They are not willing to suffer rejection for the cause of another. I ain't taking any slings and arrows for you, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, it was cool when you were going to send me to heaven and take away my sins and bless me. That was awesome. But now these people hate me. Caring what other people think is a little more important to me than Mr. Invisible God in the sky. I have to live with these people. That can be a Christian too. You put away the word because the social group you're in is going to cost you. You might lose them. Third case, the person listens and understands, right? This is the thorns. 
What's it say happens? The cares of this life. What's that mean? In the plainest language, and Christian, we are very prone to this. So hear this. The person is more, values more the kingdom they are building on this earth than the kingdom of God. They squeeze God in as Christians when they have time. They use their checkbook for Jesus in the margins. You following me? You squeeze them in when you have time. I've got a busy life. I've got a good life. And I've got all this stuff and all these things I do. And I can't sit around thinking about, I go to church. And in the margins, I even give time and money. But not that much because, hey. They're, they're building the kingdom here, and it's more important to them than the kingdom there. A Christian can fall into that. Or it can be proof that, by the way, a lot of people who are in church are going to hell. I hate, I hate saying it. I don't like thinking of it. When I see people in church, I always assume everyone's going to heaven because I can't see your soil. I just assume you are. But I know it's not true because Jesus always, whenever he spoke to crowds, there was always people right in the midst who weren't going. And, there, and, and Paul even said it. There's going to be people rise among you who just, they're not going to walk with you. So I know that they're, they're, the, the, the chances are there's someone in one of the four rooms that's hearing this gospel right now that, that, that's, that goes to church who won't be there. And probably this is your soil. This is, this is what fell on your heart. And you, you squeezed out a way where you could be a Christian without it costing you too much. I can fit that in. The last one is the good soil. Now, we're going to assume they listen and understand, and then they bear fruit. But you notice Jesus doesn't say what makes for good soil except really two things. He says they hear and they accept. And I think it's in that accept that salvation comes. To hear and understand and accept. Because what you're accepting is an understanding of what you're getting into. You know, it's like, it's like the, there's always movies about somebody who goes out and they're, they're having fun in Vegas or wherever and they're in, a, they're in a drunken stupor. They wake up in the morning and they're married. <laughs> and they're like, how did this happen? You know, I wonder if some people, that's, uh, that's how they end up in the church. And then they go, I quit. But the good soil knows exactly what they're getting into. They're, they're not hoodwinked. They hear and accept. Jesus says, hey, donate your enemies. Love them and bless them. They go, okay. And then they have an enemy. And in that moment, they say, I'm not going to behave like I want to behave. I'm going to behave like he said. I see so many Christians who will justify doing whatever they want to do and still say, I'm a Christian. Most of it has to do with their tongue or their sexual practices but that's not the good soil good soil listens and accepts the question i have to ask then is what about those other temptations are they just stronger than everybody else don't they face the fear of man just like the soil on the rocky ground and don't they face the desire of the things of the earth just just like the the ones on the thorny ground 
Well, of course they do. We're all the same. We all have the same desires. Well, how is it that they can accept? How do they overcome those two things? How do you overcome them? Because you have to deal with them. How do you overcome the fear of man or what you'll do in tribulation or the cost it's going to be to you to give your life to Christ? How do you overcome them? The answer is they understand that the first step is a willingness to die. To surrender. To say, Jesus, take it all. In Mark, the same gospel we're in, four chapters ahead, it says, In calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. These are the kind of things Jesus said to get more seats on the hillside. There's too many people pushing in. Let me say some things that will run some folks off. He calls the disciples, could be the 12 being referred to, but it could be any one of the people who believe in him who aren't the 12, and the crowd. They're already following him. They're already listening to the message. They're already, many of them, regular churchgoers, if you will, in our time. He says, you're a regular churchgoer? Yeah, I go every Sunday. Good. Well, except for when anything comes up that might be more important. <laughs> a fish fry, uh, my foot itches, I, the bed feels soft, whatever. But otherwise, I go every Sunday. So that's me. And he goes, well, come here, listen. You want to follow me? Yeah? Okay, deny yourself. That's how you keep it off the rocky soil. Well, it's okay if people beat you up or hate you because of the gospel. It's okay if you don't get your kingdom. That's what deny yourself means. Take up your cross. Crosses are cool to us because we're Christians. They weren't cool to them. Jesus hadn't died yet. Cross is pretty much how people strip you naked and nail holes into you. You see, the good soil hears and accepts that this costs me everything. And they go, okay. Now that may sound kind of dreadful, but let me offer two things why it's not dreadful. One, wisdom and maturity equal deferred gratification. There was an experiment done on some kids and then they followed them through life and these interesting experiments on humans. <laughs> they give kids and they say, they give them like a cookie or something and they say, you can have this cookie now, but if you wait a half an hour, you can have two cookies. If you eat it now, you can't have any more. And then they study these kids for years. And all the kids who waited seemed to live more successful lives than the kids who just gobbled the cookie. Well, there's a pretty simple principle of delayed gratification that mature people get. And if you're a young adult, get this now. You don't have to have it now. I know your mother says you, you can't have it now because she's so dumb she doesn't know what it's like to be young. But you don't realize that your frontal cortex isn't formed yet. And you're, you'll figure it out in 10 years. So just trust her. You don't need it now. At the right time, you'll be happy. I mean, deferred gratification is maturity. Understanding I get more later. To die to yourself is to gain everything. To try to keep what's in this world is to gain hell. Jesus said, what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world and loses his only soul? Or as Jim Elliott put it, not that he's better than Jesus, but sometimes humans rephrase things well. As, as Jim 
Eliot put it, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, his own life, to gain what he cannot lose. Or how Jesus put it, and he put it better in another parable in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. That's the whole parable. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. A man finds a treasure. He's in a field. He finds a treasure. He goes, awesome. But it's not just awesome. He's thinking of everything else he owns. And he thinks, more awesome. (laughs) This is the best thing ever. (laughs) You know, it's like if I found a, a whole bunch of gold bars. And some guy says, if you get rid of everything you own, you can have those 2,000 gold bars. And I... I go back and tell my wife, we're getting rid of everything. Well, I want to keep this. No, you don't. I want to keep this. No, you don't. I'm going to keep this. Put that down. We're not keeping any of this crap. <laughs> but you gave me this. I don't care who gave it to you. We're cashing in. That's what it's like. Man finds a treasure and he goes, wow. Because it says, in his joy. You see, you can't give up everything and take up your cross unless you see Jesus. That's treasure. And the Holy Spirit can show you he's treasure. And once you see him, that's good soil. It's good soil. Because, okay, I hear and accept. The final principle here. Does that make sense? You with me? Can I get an amen? amen? All right. The kingdom of God is about multiplication and growth. The parable ends with the result of what happens when the seed falls on good ground. You get multiplication. There was one seed, now there's 30. Oh no, in this one case, you had one seed, now there's 60. No, and then in another, there's 100. Right? That's what he said. It falls on good ground, those who hear it and accept it, and it's multiplied 30, 60, and 100 fold. In other words, first, follow this, and now think of salvation. First, the word The seed, the word, saves the person who hears it. That's first. Many people stop right there. Boom. Don't stop there. Then, through that person, other people gain life. Good time for me to ask, have you given up your life to Jesus? Have you done step one? And I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. This could be the first time it really hits you. Wait, this cost me everything. It's not just a church game I play where I say I receive Christ in my heart and I do a little this, do a little that and when I die, I'm going to be saved because I said the magic prayer because that doesn't work, by the way. You won't find the magic prayer in the Bible. And it may be hitting you right now. He wants all. He died on a cross as an innocent man to save you And if you believe in him, you'll gain life. But if you don't, you'll go to hell because you have no spiritual life. John 3, 3, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You must have some sort of experience that's called born again. It's in the Bible. I didn't make it up. It can happen gradually. I mean, it can hit you all at once. It doesn't matter. But you must have some sort of experience where you knew, I'm someone I didn't used to be. Is that you? Colossians 2.13 says the same. You were dead in your trespasses 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And God made alive together with him. You were dead, now you're alive. He has forgiven you all your sins. How about 2 Corinthians 5.17? If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The seed has to fall to the ground and be gone. But some new life comes. Have you received the truth that Jesus Christ died for sinners and you have no hope? And don't tell me how you're better than me. You probably are, but I don't care. You're using some measuring stick I don't use. You're not better than God, and you're going to hell if you don't receive Christ as Savior. We don't believe in hell. We're modern people. Good. That won't change the temperature of the fire. When you get down there, why don't you say, God, I never believed in this. Have you received Christ? Have you gained that life? It's important that you do. Now, I want to show you something, though, to end on another picture. Jesus paints a similar picture of how salvation works in the Gospel of John. Again, he goes to a farmer picture. Look what he says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and does what? Dies. He's talking about himself. Jesus, the Son of God, walked the earth. He could do anything. He's God forever. But unless he falls to the ground and dies, unless he goes across and dies, what, what, what? Because it says unless, what? That means, right? If you see the word unless in the sentence, unless Jesus falls to the earth and dies, what? The seed remains alone. How does Jesus remain alone? I'll tell you how. If you could put a, one of those slow mo, uh, what do you call them, stop action photographs on the whole earth, for all of time, you'd see every person who ever came here ended as dust. But there'd be one guy standing on the globe, born around 4 BC. Apparently, we can't count. And he wouldn't die. But he'd be the only man. Jesus would be the only man if he doesn't die. Now, Jesus is forever God, but he took on flesh at one point, And that flesh would be the only man. For I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. That's him. He died. And with him, my sin died and your sin died. And he rose again from the earth, but not alone. He rose with a body that was glorious, much better than the, the quality of the body that died. Because if, 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 if you plant a grass seed and you get a grass seed, you're going to be very disappointed. What you want is a green thing. If, are you with me? If you plant a one kernel of corn and you get out one dead kernel of corn, you're going to be very disappointed. What you want is a big, tall, green thing with lots of corns. That's plural for corn, corns. Jesus was the first to die. He said, take up your cross and follow me. Why? Because I'm carrying a cross. He gave up his life for you. Why? So you could, he could buy you back from Satan. He could pay the ransom. He could satisfy the anger of God at your 
sin. So you can be born again. So you who had no spiritual life can have spiritual life. Unless he died, he's the only one. But he did die. And throughout the centuries, millions and millions have been born again. And will live forever with bodies like his. Then the second half of this little sentence or text goes to us. He said, whoever loses, loves his life loses it. He said, if you're one of those rocky ground people or thorny ground people, you don't get this. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So let's look at the big picture here. Jesus started out alone. Millions and millions are now saved, born again. But more people live on the earth today than have ever lived on the earth. There's over 7 billion. Demographers say if war and the return of Christ don't stop it, we'll rise to about 12, 13 billion, and then we'll fall off precipitously, maybe down to 4 billion because people aren't having babies. So don't worry about the global warming stuff. We're going to kill ourselves off just because we don't have babies. (laughs) But right now, there's more people on the earth than have ever been. The fields, <laughs> imagine you're a farmer in western Pennsylvania and you got 200 acres and you finished farming and then God wakes you up in the morning and you say, yes, God, I just, want, I just gave you a blessing. What did you give me? I gave you 2,000 more acres. God, I'm tired. The summer's only so long. Then you're gonna need some help. There's over 7 billion people. How many of them are getting seed because you're on the earth? Don't let yourself off the hook on that question. How many? How many people are getting a shot at salvation because you have been saved? Do the math now. You see, God's plan is that many hear and you and me are the answer. You and me. He has no other plan. It it is one of my favorite times of year, the time of summer corn. I see it growing. Knee high by the 4th of July, it's on its way. I'm driving by the fields and I'm seeing it. Well, some of it may be cattle corn, but I don't know. There's not that much cattle left around here. So a lot of it I know is going to end up at the roadside and I'm happy about that. Who's with me? I'm, not, I'm, I'm sure I've never had some of the sweetest, tenderest corn comes from right here. Some of the worst, too, but some of the best. Imagine if there was no corn on the earth. <laughs> it all died. Except one dead kernel, and you owned it. You were the owner of the one piece of corn left on the earth. Do you know what? With that piece of corn, you know what you could do? You could cover the fields of the earth with corn. Because if you plant it and it lives, it's going to grow up how many, how many years of stalk? Two or three. And they're going to have more than one corn on them. <laughs> we have lots of kernels. And then if you plant them, and then you plant them, you could fill the earth from one. And that's what Christ did. 
But now you, my friends, we are not here to live self-indulgent lives. I wonder if the reason so many people are so worried about politics is because they're going to lose their stuff. You are not here to indulge your flesh for 80 years and croak a happy person. You are here to give your life for Christ, to build his church in a healthy way, and to bring his gospel to everybody. You're here to saturate the world. We're to live generous lives. Generous, sharing everything that we can get the word out there. We have, as as Harvest, we have families in India. Well, one of them's here. He's cheating. But he'll he'll go back to India. Good. Why not have more? (laughs) We have vacation Bible school. Good. Let's work harder to have more kids at it. We have Harvest Kids. Good. Let's drag every kid in the neighborhood. You know, people let you take your kids to church, even those who won't go. Dude, take them. I'd have to ask. Yeah. Ooh, that's hard. We have Crave. We have Divorce Care. We have Jail Ministry. We have all these services. We're online. We have child care. But we're only scratching the surface. We still look a little bit too much just like any other church that wants to die in America. Churches always die at their peak. They, they die when they forget they're here to multiply. And I don't mean math. That's a good thing. I'm not good at that. So what must we do? Two easy things. We must keep our ground ready to receive the word. You need to keep growing in the word. If you fall off into sin, you're not going to plant the word. If, you're prior, if, you, if you stay out of the word, you're going to get in the thorns and you're going to get in the rocky place. You need to keep your heart ready. Continually being saved. How is your soil? Let me just say that. Right now, how's your soil? Are you listening to the words? Are you going to remember this? Is it going to change? Are you going to walk out and say, well, that was good. Pastor Mike really sweat a lot. That was awesome. And then forget about it. How's your soil? Second, we have to be willing to risk all for the world. And I mean all individually, all as a church. We have to push on our own comfort zones. We have to be willing. Look, I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have the energy. Rearrange your priorities. I need me time. Your whole life is your time. Rearrange your time, your money, your energy. And and here's a, a simple way to do it. As if the only thing that matters is the kingdom of God. You say, well, won't I love my family? Members of the kingdom of God always love their family. Right? Will you do it? Will you keep your ground ready to receive? Will you risk? Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.